Brilliant. Thank you, Tom. It's good to um, be here with you all today. Um, just before we start, one of my children was ill this week, this weekend, so I said I'd just say hello to them online. Hello, everybody, because um, they couldn't make it. So, um, Now, Tom asked you a question about what you'd like to uh, change um, at the beginning, but I just wonder whether you just have a... There's another question for you on a similar theme, is how, how have you changed? How have you changed over the years? Um, has that been a good thing? you changed for the better? Um, I know some people say, oh, the older I get, the more bitter I get, or that sort of thing. But um, I just wonder how you've changed over the years. Because um, it's very easy, isn't it? Things to have got a bit better in our lives, maybe. Or for us to have picked up hurts and disappointments. And um, I know I'm a bit of a mixed bag myself. Um, and in this passage today, we're going to notice some changes in Joseph's family. And we're going to see how God changed them. And we're going to learn also some things about how he changes us. Um, just before we get into that, I was thinking this week um, about something Jesus said um, in the book of Revelation to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2. He says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet, I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Life isn't straightforward, is it? And um, as, things go, as time goes on, things do change. But I just felt it was right, right at the beginning here, just to, uh, maybe this is for you, maybe it's for me, just to sort of say, you mustn't ever forget that at the center of this thing is knowing and loving Jesus. And it's so easy for that to get eroded away slowly in our lives. So maybe that's just something to reflect on for you. So we're in Genesis 43. Um, most of you know the story. We're in that part of the story where the famine that was spoken of in, jo- in um, Pharaoh's dream has come true, has come to pass. And Joseph's now in charge of the food distribution in Egypt. The brothers have made one journey already, and this is their second trip for food. And I'd like just to stop here again, just before we get right into the text. Because for me, I don't know whether you're ever intrigued by the way there's so much narrative in the Bible. You know, I think if I, if I was writing the Bible, and I'm not obviously, but if I was writing the Bible, I think I'd make it, you know, rules probably. This is what God wants you to do, right and wrong. Or kind of Aesop's fables, you know what I mean? Sort of the boy who cried wolf. Here's a nice little story with a meaning at the end. But that, you do get some of that in the Bible, obviously. But that isn't really what the Bible is made up of. It's made up of these narratives, these kind of roundabout stories often that sort of bit like we've got today. It's a, it's a good story, but it sort of does go backwards and forwards a bit. And I've often puzzled that. I thought, why has God done that? Like, why is he not more clinical? Why does he just get to the point? Um, and of course, ancient cultures, they shared truth via stories. And the obvious answer to why this story is in the Bible is, is because it happened like this. Um, but I think also because, because God doesn't press fast forward on our lives, does he? He cares about each day, even the boring and confusing ones. And he's at work in all of it. And it's a bit like when you're in a maths lesson at school, I think. Does the maths teacher ever say to you, with this problem, I want you to show your workings. I want you to show your workings. 
And, of course, what the maths teacher was trying to do was, A, prove that you could do it. You weren't doing it on a calculator. Um, and also that in that, you were understanding it and that maybe you could show the teacher or you could show the person next to you, this is how you do it. I've actually understood this. Um, and I think a similar thing happens in the Bible. As we read these stories that are kind of drawn out and round about and you obviously see people's faults and feelings going on, we see how God works in that and we see also how God has outplayed in our lives as well. So, what do we see in this, in this passage? The first thing we see is, is ongoing difficulties. In verses 1 to 2 it says this, Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. They're still in the famine. And we know this famine is going to last for seven years, but of course they don't, they don't know that. And we don't know how long they've been in it, but they've obviously been in it for a while, and it's still ongoing. Um, And not only is there a famine, but they've eaten all the food they've already got. There's a prospect of another long journey. Do you enjoy long journeys? I don't particularly enjoy long journeys to get more food. And there's this added complication of this thing going on with Benjamin. Should they take him? They're kind of between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? Don't go back to Egypt and starve and lose Simeon, who's there, of course. Go back without Benjamin and risk the sort of wrath of this Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph, this, this character in Egypt. Or they go back with Benjamin and risk losing him and probably maybe their father as well who's going to die of the fear of what's going to happen. So what on earth do they do? Because these are God's people. Aren't they? These are God's people and yet they are still affected by the famine. These are God's people but they still have issues in their family and questions and complexities they're trying to figure out what is God doing? Why am I facing such difficult decisions? Why have I got issues in my family? Why is my past coming back to bite me? And we see all these questions in this passage. What do we do when a famine, physical or spiritual, comes along? Jacob and his family, they must have prayed for this famine to end. And it doesn't. Jacob, Israel, sums it up well in verse 6 when he says, Why did you bring this trouble on me? Now, I don't know what your sort of church history, your church background, your church tradition is like, but I know for me, the one I've kind of grown up in, the one I've been convinced of actually from the Bible, is one where I'm expecting to feel God's presence. Um, I'm expecting things to happen when I pray. I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to come upon people when I, when I pray for them or situations for them to change. And I've been richly blessed by this tradition, let's call it, encounters with God, sense of God's presence regularly. But what do I do when my prayers don't get answered? When there is no sense of God's tangible presence, his intimate presence in my midst. And not just for a day or two, but for a prolonged season. And perhaps we don't talk as much about this as we should. Um, That feeling of where is God in all of this? But actually that is a very normal part of walking with God. You will go through seasons where it feels like he is distant and you have questions there aren't easy answers to. You and I are not the first people to experience these things. And I'm aware this might be your experience right now. But the one thing we mustn't do with those experiences is deny them. 
mustn't just press on, pretend it isn't happening. Because that can actually do some real damage to ourselves and to others if we're not careful. And perhaps most sad is we'll miss what God is doing through this particular time. If we only have a framework that God is at work in our lives when I feel like he is. The second thing we see here is that change happens slowly. You know, some years have elapsed um, since the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. But we see in this chapter a number of ways, which Tom alluded to earlier, which the brothers are changing. So at the beginning, they're angry, they're callous, and they're lying. Um, But by this point in the story, we see something different. I don't think that's my phone. Um, And listen to this. In verse 7, it says, they tell the truth. In verse 9, they take responsibility. In verses 19 to 22, they're being honest. In verse 28, of course, Joseph's dream is fulfilled and the brothers bow down to him. Something remarkable is actually happening in these brothers' lives. Through all these difficulties and over this prolonged period of time, they've been humbled and changed. And it can be the same for us. You know, I can think back to a few moments in my life where there, God has significantly changed me on the spot. Boom, someone has prayed for me, something's happened. I've been changed, I can't deny that. But the vast majority of change and transformation in my life has happened slowly, over prolonged periods of time, when if I'm honest, I've felt more like I've been going backwards or standing still than I've been going forwards. And often the key ingredient is that my life at that point has been quite hard as well. When people I loved have died, when there's been issues in my marriage, they're still trying to get through, when there's been issues in my marriage or with my children, when my mental health hasn't been good, or perhaps when God just felt very distant. Good news is your life doesn't have to be a beautiful straight line from glory to glory of increasing and perfect steps to be in the center of what God is doing. It says in Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12 that the Lord disciplines those he loves. But it is possible to resent this work. You know, I can remember in the last 18 months a very significant, vivid vivid memory of um, just in a very difficult period saying to God, do you know what, God? Enough. (laughs) I've had enough. I'm fed up with you, God. I think it's okay to say it to God sometimes. I don't care. I genuinely don't care if this process is making me more like Jesus. I don't want it. Do you know, I'm fed up of always having to go through things for me and a character to be transformed. I just want this situation to change. And do you know what I felt like God said to me in that moment? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Silence from heaven. Cheers, God. You know, it's like, but you know, in this section of the story, Joseph is present, isn't he? But his brothers don't recognize him. They don't realize that he is with them. And sometimes we don't feel God's presence. We aren't able to see that he is with us. We can feel that he's hidden. But 
scriptures assure us that he is not absent. Do you know, perhaps it's a bit like um, one of those children's books. Did, you ever, did your children, or did you even, have one of those children's books which was like how to be a detective or how to become a spy? I've, I've still got my one. It was, I loved it. Um, but in those things, and then what I had, often you get like um, a sheet of acetate that's kind of got all these jumbled lines on it. I had like a magnifying glass that had all these kind of grey wiggly lines on it. And when you held that over certain pages of this how to become a spy book, all the other wibbly lines on that page, they became clear and you could see the map or you could see the code or you could see whatever that particular page was meant to be showing you. Before it was not clear, but you hold this acetate over with the wiggly lines on and it becomes clear. And I think sometimes that's, that's what we need to do in our lives. And of course that acetate is asking God, like, what are you doing in this? And I know that's really hard to ask sometimes. But what I'm learning is that God's grace and his power is stronger than my sin. And that my mistakes and my lack of ability to do the right thing don't stop God's work in me. He is in control. And he is a God who wonderfully does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God is wanting to challenge And to change the things in our lives that still need work as he forms us into the image of Christ. We become truly not just Christians, but followers of Jesus, whose lives give glory to God and actually look like Jesus. I wonder what God might be trying to change in you in this season. And I just really encourage you, I'm trying to do this more and more, just to take a step back and ask myself, can I look at this situation differently? What's a different perspective on this? How could I look at this situation differently? Perhaps you could ask yourself that. So I look back now to that situation when I didn't feel like God gave me any answer, and I see that he was changing me. And um, it wasn't very pleasant at the time. But I take comfort from the Psalms, and this one in particular, Psalm 42, is just a few verses of it. My soul thirsts for God the living God when can I go and meet with God my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long where is your God why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my saviour and my God Finally, what do we see in the way that Joseph responds to his brothers? Well, I think we see this. We see a glimpse of God's heart for us. In verse 27, he asks them how they are, and he inquires about their well-being. In verse 29, he blesses Benjamin. And in verse 30, he weeps because he is so moved by the sight of his brother Benjamin. And yet, Joseph won't actually reveal his identity to his brothers until two more chapters, in chapter 45. And I think in my mind, at this point, um, my mind goes forwards in the Bible to somewhere else, somebody who weeps before they act. And that place is John chapter 11. And of course, Jesus at that point is standing 
at the tomb. He's delayed a few days and he's standing at the tomb of his friend Lazarus who has died. And it says this, the old shortest verse in the Bible here, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. In both these moments with Joseph and with Jesus, there's almost this pause where before, Je- before Joseph sort of reveals his concealed identity, before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, this pause where they both weep. And we sort of, something, I think that weeping reveals something that maybe we wouldn't have seen if there hadn't been that pause. And it's this, it's, it's how much Joseph and Jesus love the brothers and Lazarus. How much they love them in that moment we see. And it gives us a glimpse of how God feels about us. That they are moved by so much emotion that it literally comes out, doesn't it, in tears. See how they loved him, they said of Jesus. I wonder if you just ponder that for a moment about how God feels about us and how God feels about you struggle with the love of God just pray that God would break that through for you today that you wouldn't that you would see that God has deep heart for you this is what God is like this is what God is like let's draw near to him again today shall we why don't we pause and I'll pray for us as we finish Father God, thank you that you are changing us. That you are committed. No matter if our story at the moment feels like it's going around in circles or is quite desperate or whether it's fine, you are committed to us, you are changing us. And I pray you'd give us eyes to see things with a new perspective, to see what you are doing and as you do that Lord I say come Holy Spirit and cause us to grasp how much you love us open our eyes to the depths of your love again we pray come Lord Jesus Amen